Thank you, Lord. Amen. Lord, we are amazed and overwhelmed by your mercy. You've given us grace and you saved us who did not deserve it. And Lord, we're so thankful. Because we're so thankful, Lord, we want to live our lives for you. We declare ourselves, our flesh, dead. And now we're alive in Christ Jesus. Our home was planet Earth, but now it's your throne, where your throne is in the kingdom of heaven, called the third heaven by Paul the Apostle. Lord, we thank you. We will be overwhelmed when we step into, into the narrow gate and we walk into your kingdom or escorted into your kingdom when we see all the amazing glory, Lord, we won't know what to do. We wouldn't know whether to cry out, praise you, fall on our face, not even be able to speak as we see all that you have prepared for those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. Lord, we can only grasp the verse Paul read. If we can only grasp what your kingdom looks like I think we would declare ourselves divorced from this world and enter into your kingdom. Lord, tonight open our eyes and ears and hearts and minds and soul that we might hear and understand and see things that we've never seen before in your word. And may you all be, you be glorified through it in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. We're glad you online have just tuned in. You're listening to Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. If you're in South Florida or West Palm Beach area, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road. It's I-95. Get off, head west about a quarter to a half a mile, and we're on the north side of the road. Our service on Thursday is 715. Our service on Sunday starts at 10 a.m., and we will be broadcasting live. Um, and, you know, if you want to, go to our website, Freedom Church, PB, stands for palmbeach.org, freedomchurchpb.org. Hit the menu button, go down to live stream, go down to give, or whatever it is you want to check out. You want to look at some of our sermons for the years past, you can even do that. So, we're glad you're, you're here. For those of you local, if there's new men out there or just moved into the area, we're, we're here every morning. The men's group meets, and uh, we're here at 9 a.m. every Saturday morning. So that will not be broadcasted, but only Thursday and Sunday will be broadcast. So bring a friend with you. We preach the full gospel of Christ. We don't stay away from the hard passages because, you know, um, just because it might send people home or, you know, um, can I say, Quit supporting their church. We're going to preach the whole gospel. You know what? Jesus preached the full gospel. You know what? And his money box was full, even though he never touched it, as far as I know, from Scripture. And uh, he just preached the gospel. That's what he came, came to do. He said, repent. And that's what we teach around here, repentance. Some churches never mention it. I, from what I'm hearing from some people. 
Um, anyway, we're in Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47. And I'm going to read from the New American Standard Version. I named this message, uh, There's Room for You. There's Room for You. And you'll see why as we progress into the message. Okay? R chapter 47. I'm going to read the first six verses or so, and then we'll break it up into little short passages. Get your pen and pencil out so that you can see exactly what's going on in the Scriptures. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks are, and their herds are all that they have, have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for our, your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let us, let us, let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you in the land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Do you see how much this Pharaoh um, respects Joseph? He just trusts Joseph to uh, give you know, to do what he tells them to do. Um, Joseph is presents, you know, presents the situation to Pharaoh. In verse 2, he says he takes five of his brothers as representatives of Pharaoh. I don't know who those are, but I can speculate. We learned that, that Benjamin was his full-blooded brother, so I would imagine he was there. I would imagine Judah's there because Judah was the one that stepped up front in two chapters back, and he said, listen, keep me and send Benjamin home to father. Otherwise, you know, he'll, that'll kill him if we return without Benjamin. So Judah was giving a sacrificial, what can I say? He was willing to sacrifice himself to free Benjamin, and that's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, in case you don't know it. You know, Jesus gave up, you know, his life in order to save his fellow, his brothers and sisters. He was willing to, no, Judah was willing to do it, do it, but Jesus did do it. Pharaoh asked them their occupation in Genesis chapter 46 and verse 34. Your servant's occupations has been with livestock from our youth even until now. Both we and our fathers that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Joseph tried to correct them and try to tell them, tell them just tell them you're, you know, you're cattlemen, you're, you're herdsmen, not anything about sheep, because, you know, a shepherd was loathed by the Egyptians. But Pharaoh trusts Joseph in just about everything, putting him second in command in the, uh, in the land of Egypt. 
The sons of Israel, verse 3 and 4, are shepherds. They didn't follow Joseph's advice. So God grants them favor anyway before Pharaoh. Pharaoh gives the land of Goshen for them to dwell in because it was like a mother's womb. It was, it was the, the Jews would be totally separated from the Egyptians because and, and in there in the land of Goshen, the Lord was going to call them out 400 years later. And in the land of Goshen, it was fertile to feed the, the flocks. And it, it, it put the his Hebrews into a situation where there would be no intermingling with the Egyptians, and if so, very little, no intermarrying. And Goshen was going to become like a mother's womb, and I mentioned it a couple chapters back. Goshen was going to become like a mother's womb to to, uh, Israel as they dwelt in the land of Goshen. It's likened to a mother's womb because I showed you that that average um, childbearing in the average world is at 2%. We know from the situation, the studying what the Hebrews did in Goshen, we find out that they, they uh, got, they raised 6%. It was 6% of, of birth in, in um, Egypt, in the land of Goshen, where the normal world at that time was 2%. It was three times faster. The, actually, the Jews outgrew the Egyptians in number. And as we learned several years later, pharaohs began to, the other pharaohs, the following pharaohs, began to fear the Hebrews because they were so plentiful. Okay? They will flourish there as a great nation. When they went in, we learned that when they went into the land of Goshen, into Egypt, they were 70 people strong. We know from history that they come out 400 years later, some some spec, um, some people say that there were came out two million, two to three million people came out with Moses as they exodus from Israel. So they they multiplied three times the normal rate of the world, and God actually makes Goshen like a mother's womb to them. Notice that. He, you know, uh, Pharaoh offers a job position to their chief herdsman. He's going to, he wants five men that are great herdsmen so that they can, he can, they can take care of his flocks. So that he offers them a job as chief shepherds in his own um, herd. So Pharaoh is going to put capable men in charge of his livestock. See, you know what? Today, we have a saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that same thing is happening here tonight. Pharaoh knew Joseph, and because he knew Joseph so well, and basically Joseph, being led by God, actually saved the entire nation of Egypt, and Pharaoh knew it. And he was one of the greatest pharaohs. I'm going to touch on base on him in a little later. So it's not what you know, it's who you know in this world. Verse 7 through 12, let's read that. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained 
the years that of my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. Then Pharaoh, I lost my place, sorry about that. And Jacob, Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph lifts self settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land, land of Ramses, which is another name for Goshen. As Pharaoh had ordered, Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. This is very rare that Pharaoh would meet with a tribal chief, and that would be uh, Jacob. You know, he, it's, it's very rare that he would do that. He did that because he respected Joseph so much. But due to Joseph's uh, position, um, again, it's, it's not what you know, but who you know. I'm following my notes and should have just left that one out. Jacob blesses Pharaoh, you notice in verse 7. You know that the greater always blesses the lesser. Here's Jacob blessing Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the greatest man, the greatest nation on the face of the earth at that time, but he should have been blessing Jacob. But no, you look at it in the spiritual realm, and Jacob blesses Pharaoh. The greater always blesses the lesser. He's showing his superiority. Remember, Jacob is in the bloodline to the future Messiah, the Savior of the world. You know that if you went to chapter 3 of Luke, verses 33 and 34, you would see, you know, it falls down Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? These are the, this is a bloodline to Christ. And there's more going to come down the road before the Lord Jesus appears on earth. Pharaoh recognized Jacob's relationship with Joseph, you know, and we see with Joseph's God and Jacob, you know, has a, has a new nature. He has a new name now. God's calling him Israel instead of Jacob, as you're going to see as we move through the next chapters. He's starting to live his, his covenant name, which is governed by God instead of Jacob, the deceiver or the heel catcher. You know, he's going to live his name out, life out. He has a new nature now. The same thing with you. Those of you that came to know Christ as your Savior, the, uh, the Savior of the world, you too should have a new nature. The minute you got saved, your, your personality should have changed. You should have been a different person. I mentioned on Sunday that if, if, you, know, if you were work crossing the street and you got hit smack on by a, by a Mack truck, you would be changed. You would be dead. Same thing. You get hit with the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be dead, and it'll be Christ who lives in you. These are things that we got to know and grow up in our faith. Three reasons why Jacob, in verse 8, when, when Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? He gives us three reasons why Jacob appeared to be old. He had lived 130 years to begin with. That's a long time. Okay, he had lived as a pilgrim like us. You should live as a pilgrim in this world. What do you need condos on the French Riviera for if you're a wealthy person? What do you need 
uh, ten yachts for. You're supposed to be down here. You aren't living for this world. You're supposed to be living for the next. Uh, we should have a new, new. we live in a new land because I'm dead because I got hit with the power of the Holy Spirit and I am alive in Christ. Don't you know that you've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer you who live but Christ that lives in you? Don't you know that? And number three, he had lived a difficult life. He had lived a very difficult life. This Pharaoh, I want to tell you, if you study history, I'm told that this is Pharaoh Kenezaret. Supposedly, he was on the throne in uh, 1878 B.C. to 1841 B.C. And he was supposedly the greatest Pharaoh of the 12th dynasty. You know, 12 is a, is a really godly number in the scriptures. And I just want to go through. What, the, what, what, um, what can I say? The number 12 represents leadership or a ruler or perfection. Let me, let me give you something. There's 187 times in the Bible, you know, it's, it's 12 or is used in some force. 12,000, 1,200, 12. Let me give you some of them. Number one is there's 12 tribes of Israel. There's 12 apostles that sit on 12 thrones. There's 12 pillars of Moses. There's jewels on the high priest's breastplate. He, they, it was 12 jewels there. There were 12 cakes of showbread. There were 12 silver plates. There were tw- you're going to see 12 bulls in the book of Revelation. You're going to see 12 golden pans. There's 12 st- sky or spies that went into Jericho uh, or into the promised land. There's 12 governors under Solomon the king. There's 12 memorial stones. When Israel crossed on dry land, the Red Sea that was divided. They, each tribal leader took a stone and put the pillar up at the end. Twelve stones with a pillar. There's twelve stones in Elijah's um, altar when he built it on Mount Carmel, when the fire came down and consumed. There was twelve stones in there. Okay? There's twelve men in the New Testament at Ephesus filled with the Holy Spirit. There's twelve thousand from 12 tribes in the book of Revelation that will become evangelists in the, in the great tribulation. There's 12 gates of pearls in the kingdom of, of heaven. There's 12 foundations in the new for Jerusalem. There's 12 angels at each of those gates. There's 12 fruits on the tree of life. One fruit, 12 fruits every different month. Yeah, 12 each month. There's 12 sons of Jacob. There's 12-year-old is when we see Jesus in Jerusalem con- talking with the, the so-called scholars that didn't know anything. He baffled their minds. There's 12 legions of angels Jesus mentioned. Don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels down here? He wasn't about to destroy the purpose for which he came, to die for your sins and my sins. There's 12 baskets of fragments picked up at, at one of the the booth distributioning of food for that Jesus did. Um, there's 12 bronze bulls under the, the sea and, and the temple. Um, there's, there's 12 springs of water. 
Let me tell you something. When the new Jerusalem comes down, I want to, you know, when the new Jerusalem comes down in Israel, let me go through a few things here, okay? It's said that it's the new city in after, when after the, the, the uh, com second coming of Christ, not the, tra tra the rapture, but the second coming of Christ, when the new Jerusalem comes down, it's said to be 102 meters, um, 12,000 meters. If you take uh, the, a meter is 201 meters. If you take that by 12,000 furlongs, you come out with 7,902,000. You divide that by 208, or 580, which is, which is a feet and a mile, you come out with 1,496 miles. The New Jerusalem is 1,409 feet. Let's say 1,500 just to round it off. It's 1,500 miles this way, it's 1,500 miles this way, and it's 1,500 miles that way. So listen, when the New Jerusalem comes down over Israel, let me tell you something. Right now, Israel's size is only 290 feet, nine, 290 miles north to south. It's 86, uh, uh, 86 miles east to west. This new Jerusalem is 1,500 miles. Do you realize that if, you, if, the, if the, the East Foundation was in Jerusalem, it would stretch all the way over to Russia, to Moscow, if I have it right. The new Jerusalem coming down. It's also, it's also 12, it's also 1,500 miles north to south, which means that it will here, here it would go from from uh, Jerusalem to the Ukraine. It's thirteen hundred and eleven miles. So look at this this city that's going to come down from heaven. The new Jerusalem is a lot bigger than you can imagine. Which is why I named this title. There's room for you in the kingdom of heaven. God wants all to be saved. You know what? You can make your reservation right now by receiving Christ as your Savior, repenting of your sin. Repentance is so important. You know, I said one time, Charles Spurgeon's quote, sin and hell are married until repentance claims the divorce. Sin and hell are married until repentance claims the divorce. So if you're going to receive Christ as Savior, you need to repent of your sin. And that doesn't mean confess them. It means to about face from them. Go in the other direction. There's room for you. This new Jerusalem is going to be way more than you expected. 1,500 miles high? How many skyscrapers do you know that are 1,500 miles high? Amazing. Amazing. Isn't it? Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? Of course, he said, I'm 130 years. We get scripture tells us that he died at 147. So that meant that he, he was ready to die when he was coming into Egypt. I, get, I think that when he found out that Joseph was alive and saw him face to face, he was like rejuvenated. He was like rejuvenated. There's no doubt about it. He lived 17 years in, in Goshen, you know, right right within uh, 
uh, chariot ride over to Joseph. So, it revitalized him. He once was, his, and remember our last chapter, I believe it was, you know, it was like a resurrection. To him, Joseph was declared dead for 20-some years, about 22 years. It's like a new resurrection. Because he saw Joseph like he was resurrected. He thought he was dead for, for 22 years, and now he understands and sees Joseph face to face. It's like he's resurrection. The same thing with us, you know, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He died, but he was resurrected because we have changed. We have been enlightened. We had a wake-up call in our life, and now we're saved by the grace of God. It says in Scripture, and you know the Scripture, First Peter 2.11, it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims on this earth, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. We're supposed to, Christians, keep a light touch on this world because you don't own anything anyhow. You're just managing it for the Lord. But some of us think we're going to take it to heaven with us. You aren't going to take your $10 million to heaven with you. You better get in touch with the reality that, that you're not going to be here forever. You're only going to be here for a short period of time. Jacob had a lot of struggles in his life, and he said that, you know, um, he told Pharaoh that they have been hard years. They've been hard years that he lived. you got to remember, remember what happened in his life. Let me tell you a few things. Jacob had a difficult life. If you remember right, he stole his birthright from his brother Esau, and Esau wanted to kill him. He had to flee for at least 20 years before, before um, he came back to his home. He wasn't able to see his mother ever again because he had to go to Uncle Laban's because Esau was going to kill him. He never saw his mom again, nor did he see his dad for at least 20 years. He was cheated, the wife that he wanted, out of by his brother-in-law, or his uncle, I'm sorry, who, who was a bigger deceiver than him. He had two concubines, Bilhah and Zilpha, and one of them was, was uh, one of them had sex with his son, Reuben, his firstborn son, and there he lost his birthright. He had 12 sons, and Simeon, Simeon and Levi were mass murderers. You remember they killed the, the, the Shechem, the prince of a little tribe in Israel, and he had them, you know, uh, in order to intermarry, in order to, have, to be able to trade, he had them, since he raped her, they had him, uh, he said, hey, if you circumcise, get circumcised, then we'll intermarry with you. But as they were circumcised on the third day, when they were in as much pain as possible, you know, Simeon and Levi come in, and they, they wiped them out they, with a sword. They killed every one of them. They became mass murderers, and they, too, lost their birth right there. And that leaves the fourthborn son, the son of Leah, the firstborn son of Leah, Judah, to be, he, he's the one that's going to become leader in Israel after Jacob 
is gone because he's the one that stepped up and was willing to sacrificially give his life for Benjamin, which is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, as I mentioned earlier. He gave his life for us. He was crippled. You remember uh, he was crippled at Peniel when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. So he walked with a limp. So he had a rough life. He had a very difficult life. So Jacob makes a very interesting observation. He says, the years of my life, in verse 9, have not attained the years of my father's. Let's look at that for a little bit. Jacob was right. If you look at Noah, he lived 950 years. If you look at Shem, he, he lived 600 years. If you look, lift, look at Eber, he lived 469 years. If you look at Terah, he's 205 years. He's the father of Abraham. Abraham lived to 175. Isaac lives to 180. He hasn't obtained to it. At 130, he was ready to die until he was revived, seeing Benjamin alive, and he lived another 17 years. We're going to see that as we read on. And he was 147 when he died. He had a rough life. For 20 years, 20, 22 years, he thought Joseph was dead. He lived in pain and agony for many, many years. And you know what? You see that that breakdown, nine, Noah lived 950 years. We get down to Abraham. He, he only lives 175 years. If you were with us in the beginning of this study of Genesis, you'll remember that in Genesis chapter uh, 6, I believe it, it is, that, that God caused the windows of heaven and the fountains of the earth to flood the entire world 15 feet over the highest mountain, or I'm sorry, 15 cubits, which is 22 and a half feet over the highest mountain. And what, what happened here, when God opened the windows of heaven, you know, God separated the waters from the waters, and there was a water vapor barrier around the earth. That's what most scholars believe, and that's what I believe. Okay? And the tr earth was tropical. We know that from Scripture. The earth was tropical. It was watered from the ground, the fountains of the earth. That water vapor barrier broke down and rained upon the earth those 40 days and 40 nights as the floods came up from the, from the uh, fountains of the earth, and it flooded the entire earth. Uh, and after the, the flood, you men started living just a few years. Noah was 950, Shem was 600, Eber 464, Terah 205, Abraham 175, because the ultraviolet rays from the sun was actually deteriorating mankind a lot faster. As far as I'm concerned, I believe that's true. So Jacob will die at 147, lived in Egypt with Joseph for 17 years, and Joseph will die at 110. You see the See, it's still deteriorating. Today, according to Psalm 90, verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Your spirit's going to fly away either to heaven or to hell. Take your pick. There's room for you in that kingdom of heaven, the new Jerusalem. 1,500 miles east and west, north and south, from, from uh, earth to, to heaven. 
1,500 miles, there is room for you. And all you got to do is repent of your sin, receive Christ as your Savior with all your heart, not your head. Just don't mouth the words with all your heart. And if you do that, you'll be hit with the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll come into your life and he'll change your life. And you yourself will be crucified with Christ. And it will no longer be you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Praise the name of the Lord. He gave us a way out. Some of us out there might be over 70 years. Some of us might be, you know, uh, maybe under 70 years. But you're not guaranteed. You don't know what's going to happen in your life. That's why the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Now is the day of salvation. You do it now. Well, it's too late because you don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Verses 11 and 12, Joseph promises for his family they, and gives him the land of Goshen, which is, says here Ramses, which is really another alternate name for uh, Goshen. There's, here, we, here we see one more way, making it 39 ways Joseph typifies Christ. I might go over them in the next couple weeks. Now it's totaling 39. Both gave their brethren the best of the homeland. Both Joseph gave his brethren the best of the homeland, and Jesus Christ gave you the kingdom of heaven. Wow. That's better than Goshen. I'm going to tell you that right now. Jesus gives us an eternal homeland, and Joseph gave his brothers a physical homeland. That's how he typifies Christ. 39 ways Joseph typifies Christ our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 13. I got a note here. I'm going to read it before we move on. Um, a family member uh, has has uh, passed away. They live up in Virginia. Um, it's uh, our daughter-in-law, Barbie's grandmother from West Virginia, passed away. And uh, she just texts, I guess, Liz, you know, that um, Barbie just found out and arrangements are scheduled for the weekend. So let's pray for the family, okay? Uh, real quick. Father, we want to lift up uh, Barbara's family up in West Virginia and Sharon. And, um, and the loss that they have just taken. Lord, we pray that comfort come to them as, they, as, as I hope that she knew the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior, Father God. So we just put this family in your hands, in Jesus' name, to take care of them with your power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, let this be a time that they will reflect on themselves, that they might know that we aren't here forever. We're here for an appointed time, and it's all over. And then we get to go to you in the kingdom of heaven if we have repented of our sins with our whole heart and received Christ as our Savior. So, Lord, I pray blessing over this family. And, Father God, that you would comfort them in a time like this. Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, I pray that you give them rest over the loss of granny. In Jesus' holy name, amen and amen. Amen. Sorry if we had to take a 
time out for that, but you know, you knew though prayer is really important, don't you? So it is. So, okay, verses 13. Verse 13 through 17. New American Standard. Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Now languish, it means uh, fainted or it's feeble or it's exhausted. The land was exhausted. It was weakened and it was withering away. That's what languish means. Egypt and the land of Canaan languished or withered away because of the famine. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph bought, brought the money into Pharaoh's house when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for, for why shall we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys, and he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. Okay, we'll end it there, and I'll continue in a little bit. Everything's gone. The people used up all their money, now they're starving again because the, 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 the uh, famine was severe. And they only had left. Well, Joseph makes a bargain with them. Give me your herds, and I will give you food to eat. They're there like, why not give up the herds? We're going to die if we don't. So they gave up the herds. Yes. So here's what Joseph does. He is obtaining livestock for Pharaoh. Remember in chapter 41, verse 35, you, you know, we store, he was storing up all the grain. And there was a great surplus in, in, um, in Egypt. If you remember right, for the seven years of plenty, the people gave 20% of their, of their uh, crops to Pharaoh. It was a very rough time. I had to look up that work language I language because I knew it meant more. The land was exhausted. It wasn't producing nothing. There was probably no rain coming down. It was just withered away. The grass was dying. The herds couldn't even eat. But the land of Goshen had plenty. For over two years, over two years in the famine, all the people have spent all their money in just two years. The people pleaded for more grain, else they were going to die. And Joseph negotiates for their livestock. And the people surrender their possessions to him so that they can get food. Silver and gold were virtually worthless if you're starving. You have $100 and somebody wants to give you a slice of bread, if you're starving, you will give them the 100 bucks. Money was useless at that time when the famine is so severe and you're going to die. So 
Joseph obtains all the livestock of all the people in Egypt. And watch what he does as we continue on. Okay, verses um, is 19, no, 18 through 26. When that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is spent, and the cattle are my Lord's. In other words, Pharaoh's got the cattle. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our, our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh, so Pharaoh, so, so give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was so severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities. He was a great administrator, there's no doubt about it. As for the people, Joseph removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land and the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought from you the land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow in the land. At that harvest, you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh, another 20%. Everything. He gave them grain. When they came out of the famine, they were going to plant it. And if they had 100 pounds of grain, 20 pounds went to Pharaoh. They're going to have more than 100 pounds, I'm sure. Joseph made a statue concerning the liberty, the land in Egypt, valid to this day, and Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Listen, Joseph now, he is bargaining and obtaining no longer just the livestock, um, but he's obtaining the, the people. He's making them actually slaves. He's given up the land. They've given up their money. They've given up their, their livestock. Now they're giving up their land and their possessions, them, them, their own selves, just so they can live. And it's still just the early years of this famine. So Joseph negotiates for their livestock. All the people surrender to possession and their livestock for food. Listen. They possess. You know what? Did you see anything in what I just read where Joseph was obtaining this for himself? No. No. Everything that he was obtaining, he wasn't keeping it so he could get rich. He was giving it to Pharaoh. That was his job. He was the prime minister, second in command in Egypt. He was obtaining the land for Pharaoh, not for himself. 
this is a righteous man, but he was very intelligent, very shrewd in the way he did it. And because of that, all the people, most of the people, I'm sure, lived. What good if you, you're dead and you own 10,000 acres? Big deal. It's useless to you. Somebody else is going to get it. And he obtains 20% for seed. You know, he, he gives them, he, you know, he, he uh, gives them seed, and they have to give him 20% of the harvest to come. One-fifth was going to Pharaoh. He's not elevating himself. He's elevating his master. And that was just increasing the power of the Egyptian government. And also that, you know what? There was no welfare problems going on. There was no welfare programs. There was no unemployment. It actually forced the people to be productive. That's not the way it is here in the United States, is it? You go on welfare and you don't have to do nothing. You just collect the money and sit back and still do nothing because you're too lazy. You know what? There's no unemployment. Nowadays, I know some employers personally, and they cannot find people to help them anymore because they're sitting there collecting this, this unemployment check while they do nothing. They weren't productive at all. See, Joseph had that cornered. You're going to work. You know, you're now my slave. You're going you're gonna to work for what you get. And isn't that fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3, 17? Okay? Let's show. I'm going to read that for you. Genesis 3, verse 17. Then to Adam, he said, God, that is, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat it, eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat the bread till you remain, return to the ground, because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, we have to work. The, because of our failure and our, our sin, our fallen from grace, we will eat meat by the sweat of our brow. That's why you have to pull the weeds in your garden every week or so because the weeds grow. Thorns and thistles that it will prepare we are uh, bear for us. We have to. You have to be a productive citizen. Joseph was very productive. He obtains, you know, he obtains for Pharaoh the land, the livestock, 20% of the coming harvest from the grain that, that Joseph was going to give them. And all the land is taxed, and everyone is forced to do labor. What can I say? Because Pharaoh wasn't going to let them. He, they owed him because he saved their life by giving them grain. 
Joseph's service here went to Pharaoh. Number one, he added dollars. He got all the dollars from the people. All the money was Pharaoh's now. That means all the gold, all the silver, everything was worth anything. The livestock was now Pharaoh's. The land was now Pharaoh's. He purchased all the land. That's like you see uh, unincorporated Palm Beach County. Well, the government owns that. So um, he it proved to the Egyptians the sovereignty of this Pharaoh. That he had the power and he had the authority to do what he's doing. And he also obtained 20% of the incoming harvest as a tax. Joseph was successful in serving his master. He acquired for Pharaoh and not for himself. Years later, later years of the famine, Joseph arranges ways for the people to buy food, whatever they have to give, their land themselves, the tax. Verses 30, 47, 27, chapter 47, 27 through 31. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fulfilled, fruitful, and became very numerous. Remember I told you they, they were um, increasing by 6% when the, the world produces at about percent they were producing babies three times faster Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years and the length of Jacob's life was 147 years when the time for Israel now this is Jacob remember this is his, his covenant name when it was time for Israel to die drew near and he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal, deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. He said to them, I will do as you have said, he said, swear to me. So he swore to, to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of his bed. Here we see that Israel's multiplying, the covenant name for Jacob. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. And Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty. In the, and the land was filled with Hebrews, really. Here's what Psalm 105, 24, I want to read that from the psalm. Psalm 105. Verse uh, 24. 105, 24. And he caused the people, and he caused his people to be very fruitful 
and made them stronger than their adversaries or their enemies. God caused them to, to multiply and increase, and they became stronger than their enemies. And we're in Exodus 1-7. We'll go to Exodus 1-7 just to back that up. Remember, you interpret Scripture by Scripture. Exodus 1-7. There we go. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied, and they became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. The land was filled with them because God blessed them to, to grow at three times the normal birth rate of, of the peoples of the earth. Here's where we find out that he dies at 147. We know when he stood before Pharaoh when he got to Egypt and he had the tribal, he, had, he was a tribal leader. Pharaohs wouldn't even deal with that. But this Pharaoh did because it's not what you know, it's who you know. And he knew Joseph. So he lived... I was 130, so he lived in Egypt for 17 years, and he got to be with his son Joseph for those 17 years, which made him extremely happy, I'm sure. He asked that Joseph put his hand under him and swear to him that he would not bury him in Egypt, that he would take him to the burial place of his fathers. And if you remember right, I showed you weeks ago that that place is Machpelah, Machpelah. You remember the first of the patriarchs to die was the wife of Abraham, Sarah. And she was, in chapter 23 of Genesis, verse 19, Abraham, with money, purchased a cave where he could bury his loved one. And that was Sarah. He lost Sarah. And that place was called Machpelah, just a little piece of land with a cave. And there... Abraham buried Sarah. When Abraham died, if you turn to Genesis 25, 9, you'll find out that he was buried in that cave with his wife Sarah at Machpelah. If you go on, you find out that Isaac and Rebekah are both married, are both buried at Machpelah. Go to chapter 49, which we're going to see coming up, verse 13. We see that Isaac and Rebekah are buried at Machpelah. So, so far we have Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, and Rebekah buried at Machpelah. And in chapter 49, as we come up to it again, we're going to see that Leah is buried in, in the cave at Machpelah. Leah is the one that is the mother of Judah who is going to become the father patriarch. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Judah picks up the royal line after that, the fourth-born son of Jacob. If we go on in chapter 50, we're going to find out when Jacob dies, he's going to be buried in Machpelah, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 13. That's an important gravesite, and that was the first possession that anybody possessed in the promised land. Listen, the Jews... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah never had a, a property except for Machpelah in the land of Canaan. Just like us, you have, you're supposed to not have any possession in this world 
I mean, you can have possessions to live by, but you, you can't have to have a light grip on them because your kingdom is the kingdom of heaven if you're a believer. That's where you're at. That's where you should be. They, here, they did the same thing we're doing. You've never, you've, never, you've never entered it. You've never made possession of it yet, but yet you're headed there, and God made you a promise. He said, you know, when we, you know, what can he say? If a man die, shall he live again, says Job 14, 14. Well, the answer is yes. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life. Though they were dead, yet shall you live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. See, you have no possession in this world. You, you are just a steward for God of everything that you have. So we should be doing a good job. I just want to remind you again, the New Jerusalem is about 1,500 miles wide, tall, and wide and length. There's room for you. It would stretch from the Mediterranean Sea at Jerusalem almost to Russia. When the New Jerusalem comes down, that's how big it is. And it's going to stretch from, from uh, where is it? I have it written down here somewhere. It's going to stretch from north to south. It's going to stretch from Jerusalem to Naples, Italy. From Jerusalem to Naples, Italy. That's how wide it is. So you see that the promised land is a whole lot bigger than you can imagine. That's just by the temple size. There's room for you. All you got to do is repent of your sin. And that is so important. Remember Spurgeon's quote, Sin and hell are married until repentance claims the divorce. You have to repent. Otherwise, sin and hell are married and you're headed that way. So receive Jesus as your Savior. Repent of your sin. That means when you walk out of this place, you're a different person than when you came in. You got hit with a Mack truck, you would be dead. And when you got hit with the power of the Holy Spirit, you are dead. It's no longer you who lives. It's Christ that lives in you. See, these are all, these things, that uh, you know, I don't pretend to be the greatest preacher in the world, but there's so many beautiful things in every chapter of the Bible. If you dig in, you really find out a whole bunch of, of uh, things that are going on. They never possessed, our patriarchs never possessed anything in the land of Canaan. And we should, you know, we have a light touch on this world as Christians, just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had a light touch on Canaan, the promised land. You have a promised land. It's the kingdom of heaven. The only way to get there is through Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except for through me. He said, unless you believe that I am, that's the name of God, I am, you will die in your sins. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And whosoever dies and believes in me uh, I got that all confused, but you know what I'm saying. Jesus said, <laughs> if you live in him, you have an eternal place in the kingdom of heaven. So, I hope you're going to pray that prayer. And as I said, don't use your head, use your heart. And if you use your heart, 
You'll be hit with the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll come into your life, and you will be a different person. If you walk out after you prayed that prayer, and you're still the same person when you walk out the door, you better check and examine yourself and make sure you are a believer. Test yourself unless you fail the test. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that everybody here in this message, Father God, will pick up the beauty of your word, and they would see the beauty of your holiness, of you sending your son Jesus Christ to this earth to redeem mankind and save us from the penalty of our sins for all those who put trust in him. He told, it says in John chapter 1, but as many as received Christ, he gave you the power to become a son or a daughter of God. May you do that now. And if you do, send me an email, joe at freedomchurchpb.org, so we can rejoice with the angels in heaven over the little lamb that has returned to the shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray. I love you all. God bless you. Amen.